Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Living in New York, I, you know, I am sure there are plenty of people that heard women screaming on the street. You know, it, it, New York is is not the safest. New York City, I would say, like yes, I've been there, is not the safest place for women to walk around by themselves. And you know, Central Park is there, and you hear a lot of things about Central Park. Yes. Very dangerous. So, you know, there are, I'm sure, a lot of people that were like, man, I should have said something. But they don't do anything about it. They're like, well, it's over with. Let's move on with our lives. And they just forget about it. Yeah. But you didn't. You took that, internalized it, and made good. Yeah. Well, you know, Heather, you said something earlier where we're fed these patterns and we're taught not to get involved. I can remember shortly after I began my career in insurance for Prudential, a car in the parking lot caught fire and I grabbed a fire extinguisher. I wanted to put it out. I got stopped. Now I could have ignored the guy, although he was my boss, but cars don't explode. <laughs> it's not like on TV. And I've seen that. And I learned that we were at a restaurant, my wife and I about two years ago, and a guy accidentally drove into one of the dining rooms. He, he hit the gas instead of the brake. And I immediately ran in. The guy was holding a baby and I took the baby. Nobody was hurt, but you know, this entire plate glass window just shattered. And all over these tables, there's a huge table. And the manager came up to me and said, hey, sir, you know, we can take care of this. And I'm like, no offense, miss. I want younger people to be safe. I've got this. And we got, you know, the dangerous pieces of glass out of the way. We got people removed from the room and then started to sweep up a little bit. It's just what I did. I don't know if I know the name. Perhaps you do. It's something like something Swila. He started the Guardian Angels in New York City back in either the 70s or 80s. I don't know if you're familiar with him. But he was a guy that didn't like women, speaking of New York City, to be afraid of being on the subway. And so he and his buddies got together and they would ride subways at night, all night long. And what they did is every time the subway car stopped, they would all step out of the car and look at each other, make sure everything was good. And if they didn't, then they knew there was trouble in that car. And they eventually got uh, berets and shirts, and then the police gave them radios. They didn't carry weapons or anything. They're just there to keep women safe and other people safe. And one of the most important things I remember, it's a lesson my little brother Jamie told me. He was in a taxi cab, I believe, once, and somebody turned around the front seat and started to shoot him. Well, what do we all do when somebody shoots at us, which I've never had that experience? Right, or you run away from it. Wrong answer. He dove at the guy. And didn't get hurt. And we learned that in martial arts, too. Of course, in martial arts, we're learning that you want to avoid a conflict. You want to de-escalate. But when something does happen, you must take control. That's, you know, you're in an active shooter situation. <clears throat> now, if you don't know, you know, hide and protect yourself. But if somebody's within reach, your best bet to safety is to attack. And I'll also say that with emotions that we have within each other. I wouldn't attack them. But, hey, let's have that conversation. Because if you had something... <clears throat> bad or traumatic happened to you, and so many of us have, instead of suppressing it, and we do that to survive, that's a good first start. Trust me, it's a good first start. But then let's have a dialogue with it. Let's have a cup of tea. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's scary. Maybe it's 
gee, should I really feel that way? Well, let me tell you, you should feel that way. Whatever way you feel, you need to express that. I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but that doesn't mean you need to act on it. That's where we get where the martial arts mental toughness comes in. It's okay to take an emotion and allow it to express itself, however crazy it is, but not act on it. We don't have to pick up a gun and go do something. We don't have to drive like a maniac. When my daughter was a little girl and she would fall and, and you know, hurt her knee or something, I'd pick her up and, I'd, you know, rub her knee or hold her knee, and I'd let her cry all she wanted. Now, I didn't let her cry for 24 hours. That was not her personality. But she needed to offload that physical emotion, and that I helped her heal. And this is something that your listeners may find benefit from. And I do that, you know, I'm the guy, like, if there's a car accident, I pull over. And I don't know where they came from. I just do it. Perhaps that's from my upbringing with my parents, who were both in World War II. But the first thing I tell people that have been injured is the injury is over. Your body is now healing, and you are safe. And that will bring great relief to people. It's interesting. You can just see it bleed off their shoulders and bleed off their face. And so for those of you that may be listening that have had traumatic events, more than one, and then recurring traumatic events because of that, the injury is over. The injury is over. You are actually healing. And part of that healing, an important part, is to let the healed, the hurt part express how it feels. And sometimes it's rage and anger and embarrassment and shame. And sometimes that's an emotion we we have no words to explain. Yeah, there are a lot of emotions that don't have the words to explain. And it's funny because I took this class with my husband the beginning of, or the end of 2019, I want to say. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he was deployed at the beginning of 2019. So the end of 2019. And in the it's it, it talked all about, you know, your inner voice and how you talk to yourself, that self-talk and, um, you know, just that negative things. But within that class also, they talked about emotions and how... The only reason we have words for emotions is because we gave them words, right? You know, the example that he uses is that with Helen Keller, she didn't know that what she felt was sadness, right? She only knew it was sadness because we told her it was sadness, but she just knew that this is how she felt. And sadness is considered negative, right? Negative. But she didn't know that. She just knew like, oh, there are, there's liquid coming from my eyes right now and this, but she didn't know that it was sadness until she was taught later on in life, right? She had experienced sadness through her whole life, but nobody knew how to express it to her until I am blinking on her teacher's name. Oh, yes, I know. It was played by Patty Duke. Yeah. Famous movie when I grew up. Oh, Miss Annie? Was it Miss Annie? Maybe. Wow. Okay. But yeah, she didn't know that that's what it was called until her teacher told her that's what it was. And so when you say like, you know, there are emotions that there aren't words to it's there's a there are a lot of emotions that don't have words. But the only reason they have words is because human beings gave them words. Yes. And, you know, emotions come from this is such a powerful point you're making. Emotions come from uh, their conclusion from one or more thoughts. So the example I use is let's say we see on TV, we walk into the room and you see somebody getting shot and you're like, oh my God, that's terrible. And then you back it up, which you can do these days, right? And you find out this person had just carjacked uh, somebody and uh, this happened in Metro Atlanta the other day, drove away with an 11-month-old child. You know, I don't think their intent was to kidnap the child, but you can't do that. And then let's say a person gets shot, which is a terrible event in any case, 
But when they were doing something terrible, and this was the only means to stop that person, then you say, thank God, right? Well, the emotion's completely different, but the action's not. So when we learn to, we don't have to make, we don't have to make the emotion go away, but we can say that's okay. For example, I, I still do healing. The lady I work with, uh, Renata Matsu, Mazu, M-A-Z-U, incredible. And she did a healing on me the other day and I'm sitting in the sunroom afterwards and my wife's like, Hey, Chase, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I'm just sad. I did a thing with Renata. She was okay. And I'll move out of that. You know, the most important thing when we feel these emotions that we consider negative is that they are episodic. They're going to go away. Now, if they go on forever, then that becomes a pathology, which is fine. We get a cold or, you know, we, we get bronchitis. People don't look at us as bad people. Well, if you, you have, you know, perpetual sadness or something, then that's a disease and let's get that fixed. And the disease just means there's disharmony. It's not a bad thing. You know, I that's kind that's, of yeah. one of the fun things about men and women is we look at things differently and you got to kind of figure it out. And hopefully one day women will figure out men. But I, I suspect that you already have. And there is some medical evidence that the <laughs> that the day a man figures women out, he has a massive heart attack and dies. So he can't spread the information. I'm just saying. <laughs> I uh, lips are sealed. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but I I I do want to you know pull a couple things out of there. It's um, funny I was listening to the Burt Show, which since you're Atlanta, you know who what the Burt Show is. Sure. Some listeners may not know that, but it's a talk show on radio here in Atlanta. But Davi and Bert were talking about the difference between sadness and depression. Mm-hmm. And I love that one, you are talking about it as a disease because mental illness is not something that you should be ashamed of, right? There's also this quote by um Mitch Hedberg, who is a comedian that died in the eighties, if you know who he is, but he, one of his jokes is you don't look at somebody and go like, dang it, Otto, you have lupus. But you do the same thing, like, dang it, Otto, you have alcoholism, you know, like you, you, but they're both diseases. They're both something that the person can't really control at that point in their life. Yes. In a or sense, don't know they, how to. they haven't learned. Yeah, right. Yes. In a sense, they chose to pick up that drink, but they didn't know that the chemicals in their brain were off balance that would create the addiction, right? Everybody mm-hmm. can pick up an alcoholic drink, but not everybody becomes an alcoholic. Right. So, you know, that, that yes, they chose to pick up that drink, but they didn't choose to have the chemical imbalance that caused the and, addiction. And people with PTSD, <clears throat> yes, they choose to, to reach out and harm others, but it's not as superficial as it seems. And let's talk about deep mind integration in a moment, because uh, that's very important. But I want to uh, highlight a little bit about something you said, the difference between sadness and depression. Sadness is, hey, my parents, my parents died. I got sad. My daughter got hurt in a car accident. and I got sad. You know, she falls off a horse, which she does a lot. Apparently, if you, I'm like, oh my God, are you okay? She goes, dad, here's a scoop. When you ride horses and she has a horse, she takes care of. It's not, if you're going to fall off a horse, it's how many times. Well, the same is true in everything else in life. We're going to get kicked around. Unfortunately, some of us get kicked around more. Well, if we keep that sadness, for example, onto an extended period of time, what's actually happening? Let's call it depression. Depression can only exist when our mind is focused on the past. Can it be focused on the future? Not really, unless you convince yourself the future is not going to be any better. Now, here's the other interesting thing. What happens when you're totally focused on the future? What 
let's say, imbalance can happen. And the imbalance is stress because of uncertainty. Analysis, paralysis, and... Yeah, you know, that's one of the reasons why mindfulness is so important is because right now you're alive and you're well, or maybe you're not well and you're getting better. But if you go out into the future and you start, am I going to lose my job? My wife's going to leave me? My kid's going to hate me? You know, blah, 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 blah. Is the world going to burn up? You know, blah, 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 blah. You're going to be crazy. You're going to be dysfunctional. But if I may, may I transition into the deep um, mind integration? Yes, let's get into that. So when I talk about the deep mind, I'm really talking about the subconscious mind. And I've been trained in something called personal self-integration, which really doesn't. What is that? Right. Uh, So I've relabeled it deep mind integration. Our subconscious mind is very powerful. Uh, There's some scientists that say our subconscious mind has an IQ two or 300 points higher than our conscious mind IQ. Well, how cool is that? Now, having been a teenage boy and a college age boy, you know, (laughs) we do pretty stupid things. Uh, you know, and they say in some of the rural parts of America, the, the last three words a guy says before he dies is, hold my beer. You know, <laughs> we do. I mean, guys are like that. You know, I'm a guy. And, and thank God I married a woman because years ago I had too many glasses of wine at a restaurant. I inappropriately drove home intoxicated. I was so, into, I'm not proud of this. I was so intoxicated. I literally could not pull off the road. I couldn't do it. And when I got home, I got reamed out like no human being on the planet. Thank God. Never did it again. So ladies, thank you for the feedback. So here's, here's the interesting thing. <clears throat> A lot of our thoughts are actually thoughts of our subconscious mind. And we don't distinguish that. For the most part, we don't really have a reason to be outraged or angry or hatred, hated or hate people. And do this a little bit of a sidebar. Have you ever met somebody that you instantly liked or instantly disliked, even if they never said a word? Yes. Well, that's your subconscious mind reacting to them, but we don't look at it that way. Now, we don't want to, in one way, take our subconscious mind and put it over there and say, I'm going to ignore you because it's not going to stand for that. You know, it's extremely powerful and extremely bright. Well, on the other hand, it doesn't mean we can't say, oh, Let me see where that's coming from. Now, we tend not to do that. Why? You mentioned early on the patterns we learn and we learn, we learn not to be rude. We learn not to be sad. We learn not because these are all people that are screwed up. Well, let me tell you, Neil Donald Walsh in his books in the early nineties estimated something like 30,000 children starved to death every day on this planet. The number may be bigger today and I could be off a little bit, but if any one of us who is capable is not doing something to resolve that or resolve other human challenges or planetary challenges, then we're crazy, right? What could be more important than keeping starving children who I'll tell you through no fault of their own are starving to death? Like, why are we not doing something about it? So people shouldn't get too excited that they're mentally clear. So here's the other trick. Okay, you ready? The subconscious, it's not that there's a conscious mind and a subconscious mind. There's a conscious mind and many subconscious minds. And particularly if you use the model of past lives, and I'm not telling you that the model's accurate, but I'm telling you it's highly effective to work with it. I worked with a therapist years ago, and she asked me what my point of view was on life and and physiology in the world. And, And your listeners will understand what my point of view is. And I asked her years later, we're now friends, I said, why did you ask me that? Oh, Chase, that's simple. Because I could do traditional psychotherapy on you, but it would take a lot more time and it would take a lot more of your money. Or I could work with things like past lives or energetic attachments or other things like that. And we could move through your challenges very quickly, which we did. So the idea is that these past life life experiences 
exists primarily in our subconscious mind. And when we decide to meet that part of our mind, love it, and dialogue with it, just like you and I are, we can release some of those things. When I first got, when I divorced from my first wife, my daughter's mom, there were two things uh, that were really a problem for me. One is I was afraid of being alone, and the other was not having money. I solved the money issue for a number of years after that, but I really, really hated being alone. And But the problem was I was paralyzed in asking a woman out on a date. Couldn't do it. The women I had dated in high school, we had essentially known each other very well and be, hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee or you know watch a basketball game? So that was different. And this was a problem for a guy that was 38. And I go into a meditation one day and I say, okay, my inner selves or inner, yeah, my subconscious mind, my deep mind, there are different aspects and they have different names. It's much more efficient to do that. And I said, okay, guys, uh, which one of you is afraid of asking women out on a date? And one of them raises his hand, his virtual hand and says, it's me. Why? Boom. Eastern Kansas in the 1930s on a Saturday in June. And there are four women and the taller, the tallest of the four women, I just asked, would you like to dance? And she just giggled, just a little giggle, no big deal. My body is flooded with grief and sadness and embarrassment like I'd never, ever experienced in my life. And I said, oh, my God, I, I, I am so sorry that happened. I am so sorry that happened. It never should have happened to you. And I love you for having gone through that experience. And that experience has, has benefited us. And I promise you, although I had no idea how I was going to do this, I promise you, I will never, ever allow that thing, that kind of thing to happen to you again. I will always protect you. 20 minutes later, I could ask any woman out on a date. And at the same time, my fear of dancing vanished. Now, my wife would have preferred that I stayed afraid of dancing because she gets a little embarrassed every time, particularly in cruise ships after my third glass of wine. Sorry, Captain. I I often wear a captain hat when I'm on a cruise. And one time I'm, you know, about free drinks. I had a little bit too much wine and I'm dancing. And a senior officer, a woman comes down. I'm like, oh, my God. And she puts one arm around me and we dance together. (laughs) So it's fun, but it's embarrassing. Now, in that 20-minute conversation, I removed a major barrier in my life. And I'm able to have uh, clearer relationships with people. Uh, That's the kind of power that can come from there, as well as many others. People that have physical illnesses, there's always an emotional and mental component with it. And that can be addressed by going into the subconscious mind. There are many other ways to go into it, but things from childhood, just two days ago or three days ago, I was working with Renato on something from my childhood. I had physical pain and part of my body that has been there for almost 40 years, gone. And the emotion around with it, gone. Now, there's more work that needs to be done. I'm not going to promise your listeners that things can change overnight, but they can. For some things, asking a woman out on a date, telling a man no, um, afraid of flying, give me 25 minutes. You'll be moving the pilot out of the way. Here, let me take care of it for you. Well, that's kind of my story. <laughs> and, and you know, let me let me also make sure that people understand I'm not a therapist. I'm more of a coach. I use uh, deep mind integration techniques and other mindfulness and meditation and martial arts techniques. If people have developed a pathology, <clears throat> then they need to see a licensed, competent medical uh, or healthcare practitioner. That's not something I can help them with. But I have taught the therapist down at Fort Benning how to do deep mind integration with soldiers and others, particularly family members of returning soldiers, because they have PTSD too, how to work with that. And in short, 
the way we work with trauma is to invite a discussion. Remember earlier we said about let that emotion come through, let that voice come through. Because people with these traumas, they should never, ever have experienced them. I don't care if they volunteered or not. The situation they were put in, in many cases, absolutely critical to our survival. But no human being, no anything should ever be put in that situation. And their whole and their forgiveness needs to be for having done that. And they're absolutely right in that they've been wrong. You know, most people that have been wrong simply want to be heard. We've all been wrong. Soldiers tend to be wronged in a much bigger way than most of us have. Women that experience trauma at the hand of, hand of men. And I'm not beating up on men, but there's a reason there are more men in jail than women. Men tend to act violently. They don't use their emotion. They don't they just... They let that rage come out because they, we're not holistic guys, so to speak. We don't view as anything other than our emotions are reality. And, and for guys particularly, we believe whatever we do tends to be correct. Women tend to say, and not all, and I don't mean to generalize, but they tend to say, you know, just because I think that way doesn't necessarily mean I should act that way. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O, thriving, A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.